I have good news to share with you this morning, although I admit that it is bittersweet. Laura Diaz, our Director of Caring Ministries, has been serving on the staff here at Bel Air Church for seven years, and for six of those years, she's been fully done with her seminary education, certified to receive a call and be ordained as a pastor, and recently she has received a call to become an associate pastor at Mallard Creek Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. So this is a great milestone in your life, Laura, and it's a real honor to you and a credit to your preparation and your ministry that this church has asked you to come and to join their staff to help them with adult education and small groups and a wide range of ministries. We are sad that the implication means that you're going to be leaving us. And uh, we have appreciated so deeply who you are and your ministry, your gracious manner and your sweet spirit and the amazing love that you have shown to people as you've visited and called on them, prayed for them, cared for them. So we just want to acknowledge uh, this morning your service here to Bel Air, which we deeply appreciate, and to have a chance for, to pray for you. Uh, it's really hard to see you go. We love you, and you have meant so much to this congregation, Lord. Thank you so much for all of your ministry to us. Now, we're going to be keeping a close eye on how God uses you back at uh, Mallard Creek Presbyterian in Charlotte. It occurs to me that now that we've, we've got a stronghold here on the West Coast and we've got another one on the East Coast, we've got them surrounded. So I think uh, we should do great things together. Would you pray with me? Let's pray for uh, Laura that God would bless her. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for our dear sister Laura. We thank you for the gifts that you've given her the training and preparation that has gone into her life, her years of dedication to you and seeking to do your will and to seek your call in her life. We thank you that this call has come from this church. Lord, as sad as we are to bid farewell to Laura, we, are, we know that that congregation is going to be blessed by her presence, blessed by her gifts and her leadership. And so, Lord, give her grace. Uh, Lord, watch over her and fill her with your Holy Spirit that she might be faithful and fruitful to you in all that she does. And we ask this in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, we're continuing today this series of messages on identity, the unchangeable truths that define us as a church. We've been looking at different images from Scripture of the church that help us to understand what we are meant to be. As Pastor Drew has been saying, by the way, he's still on vacation today, he'll be back this week. He's been saying that before we can answer the question, what does God want us to do as a church, we need to hit the pause button and take a look at what we are called to be. What does God intend for us to be as his people? Today we're gonna to be looking at the idea that God intends for us to be disciples of the teacher. And the teacher, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture that I have for you to hear today is from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. It gives us some insight 
into what it was like for the very first disciples of Jesus to hear his call and to begin to follow after him. It's John chapter one, verses 35 through 46. It says the next day, John, now that would be John the Baptist. John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. He had followers as well. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. Now the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed after Jesus. When Jesus turned, saw them following, he noticed them. He said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And one of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed after Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means the anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, so you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter or Petros in the Greek, which literally means rock. So Jesus says to him, so you're Cephas, you're Peter, you're Cephas. I think I'll call you Rocky, Rocky. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Come and see. God bless the reading of his word. When we think of our identity as a church, who we are meant to be, we need to think about what it means to be disciples of the teacher. And the teacher, of course, is Jesus Christ. And we are called to be his students, his disciples. Now, all of us have many teachers, people who have shown us how to live, who are showing us how to live for better or for worse. We don't always listen very well, even to good teachers. Nor do we always learn very quickly. Some of us are pretty stubborn, so there are a lot of things that we learn, as they say, the hard way. Now, I asked my research staff to check into this, the Google family, and uh, they came up actually with a list of 999 things that people say they have learned the hard way. Let me share just a few of them with you that I related to pretty well. Here's one, this is all practical, helpful stuff that you don't want to learn the hard way. Back up your hard drive. Yep, learn that the hard way. Second, if you don't give yourself a deadline, it definitely won't happen, okay? Here's a nice one. Your parents were just kids when they had you. That probably explains a few things. Keep a cash emergency fund and do not borrow from it. Pizza is not an emergency. 
This one's a little more complicated. I think you'll catch it, though. There is an inverse relationship between how long you've owned a book and how likely you are to read it. <laughs> True? I like this one. Never cook bacon on an open skillet in just your underpants. <laughs> That's good advice. Don't tell your friends how to improve their lives unless they ask. Well, maybe not then either. Here's one that's very relevant to some of us. Your dream job is almost definitely not on Craigslist. I like this one. If it's late at night and you are depressed, the internet has no happiness for you. <laughs> and no one ever wins an online argument. True? True. And then I thought of two or three more that come out of a more direct personal experience that I thought would be valuable to share. Once you've thought it over, you'll realize your wife is probably right. Yeah. yeah. Learning that the hard way over and over again. Okay. Driving faster to get there sooner does not really conserve gasoline although I still think it should, somehow. And then finally, don't ask a woman when her baby is due unless you know for sure she is actually pregnant. <laughs> yeah, the hard way. You don't want to learn that the hard way. Well, how do we become better students of our teacher, Jesus? How can we avoid learning things the hard way and instead become disciples who listen well, who are tuned into and learning from the master teacher. I want to start by thinking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The notion of discipleship can be described in many different ways, but as we look at the New Testament Gospels, I think these things get to the heart of it. The first is that being a disciple of Jesus is a journey. It's a process, and it's an apprenticeship. This journey means that discipleship is not simply a class you can take or a set of facts to learn. It's not something where you, you can see it all in advance, the course of study. Instead, it's a journey. You begin from where you are right now. You start to move, but exactly where the journey will take you is something that you'll have to discover as you go. The journey has a purpose. Disciples are not like gypsies who just whose whole life is wandering, 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 wandering. We are somewhat more like pioneers, people who set out for a place with the hope that we will find there a, a new land, a new life. We are uh, perhaps even more like spiritual pilgrims who set out to seek spiritual enlightenment or a deeper encounter with God, but even words like pioneer and pilgrim don't completely capture it. Disciples are students, learners, we are apprentices, you might say, to a master teacher from whom we want to learn not just stuff, but a skill, a craft. And the skill we are trying to learn as apprentices to Jesus is life. How to live with fullness, with the abundance and the vitality that God intends. This is the most amazing opportunity that we will ever have to be apprenticed to Jesus 
to learn to live as God intends. Listen to what Jesus says in the invitation that he is offering to each one of us. He says in John chapter 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Sometimes the Christian faith is represented this way. You put your faith in Jesus, you trust him, and because of that, he forgives your sin and you are assured to have life after death. Trust him for salvation, go to heaven after you die. That is what the Christian faith is partly about. But it is also crucially about your life now. Your life now. It's not just about getting you into heaven. It's about getting heaven into you. About the life of God that the Bible calls abundant life, becoming what characterizes your life. Jesus not only offers this abundant life, he claims to be the teacher who can show us the true way to life. Jesus says, as you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life he offers is not just a lifestyle, not just a set of principles to learn. It is an experience that is realized in a dynamic relationship with God. He says it another way in John 17. This is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here's the key point. Jesus offers us the most amazing opportunity ever, which is to live a life that is abundant now and forever. And in order to fulfill this offer, he invites us to become his students, his personal apprentices, to engage in a process of learning how to live this life. And he promises that if we will apprentice ourselves to him, he will teach us everything we know so that we will know how to do this. That's the opportunity of being a Christian disciple. So, how do we take him up on this invitation, this opportunity? I can tell you that it's a learning process because knowing how to actualize this abundant life in practical terms it does not come naturally. It's not something where one morning you just fall out of bed and you suddenly know how to do it. It takes work, it takes lessons, it takes time, it takes intentionality and learning. You know, the first time that I put on snow skis, I was about 13 years old. I borrowed them from a friend. The skis were wooden, the boots were leather, and the ski poles were made out of bamboo. And I spent most of two days with rain coming down on the snow, struggling up and down the beginner hill without much success, and all the time I was watching other skiers glide effortlessly down even the steeper slopes above. And what I could see them doing, I greatly admired, but it seemed to me at the time completely out of reach. A few years later, I did, decided to become a serious student of skiing. And so I started to read articles on the subject, how to do it. I bought better equipment. I took some lessons, and most importantly, I began to practice a lot more often. Now, it didn't come right at first, but over time, you know what happened? I figured it out. 
And so, rather than the mountain being an impossible obstacle that couldn't be conquered, over time, through practice and training and intentionality about learning how to do this, it became my playground. And discipleship is something like that. The abundant life is something like that. You don't just naturally know how to do it. It's going to take some intentionality, learning some skills, and it's going to take a lot of practice. The rest of this message, I want to tell you more about how you can become a serious student of the art of life abundant. It's all about discipleship, about seeing our Savior, Jesus, not only as a Savior for the afterlife, but also as the master teacher who wants to show us how to live fully, abundantly in this life. And so we can start by talking about what I'll call the three Ds of discipleship. Decision, dynamics, dimensions. That's what you need to know, that's what you need to do to be apprenticed to Jesus. To become serious disciples, we need to understand that there's a key decision, there's a core dynamic, and there are certain crucial dimensions that define what we need to learn. Let's start with a decision. Did you ever, um, did you ever attend a Billy Graham crusade, any of you? Or yeah, quite a few of you. Or maybe you've seen them on television along the way. There's a very distinct pattern to those crusades, about an hour of music and people standing up and sharing about how Christ has changed their life. And, and then you come to that moment where Billy Graham would step into the pulpit and he would deliver for about 30 or 40 minutes a clear and strong message that talked about the reality of sin, about the offer of forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ and the promise of eternal life. And then you'd come to the climactic moment in the event when he would extend the invitation. He would invite people to come forward, to get out of the bleachers and come down to the field. Why? So that they could make a decision to accept Christ, to trust in Christ as their Savior, to know that their sins are forgiven and have the assurance, the assurance of eternal life. Some of you may have made that decision at a Billy Graham crusade. Others of you, I suspect, may have made a very similar decision to accept Christ as your Savior either here at Bel Air Presbyterian Church or at another church. Maybe it happened for you at a Young Life meeting or at a, a church camp somewhere. Maybe you made that decision to ask Christ into your life as your Savior on a mountainside or along the beach some way. Wherever and however it happened, there's something that we need to understand. The decision to trust Christ for our ultimate salvation, that's not the final goal of faith. It's just the beginning. Asking Christ, your Savior, into your heart is simply the first step in what should be a process of learning a whole new way of life from Christ your teacher. So I want to ask you a question. If you have received Christ as your Savior, and I hope you have, have you also committed yourself to become a serious student of the abundant life that he offers you now? I could ask you whether this statement is true about you. 
I would define disciples this way. They are people who have decided to learn from Jesus, the master teacher, how to live their lives as God intends in order to realize now and forever the abundant life of knowing the one true God. Does that describe you? Have you made that key decision to become an apprentice of Jesus Christ? Are you this kind of Christian, an intentional disciple? If you've never been that intentional about it, you can begin by making that decision today. But what is involved in being such a disciple? What's it like to be learning abundant life as an apprentice to Jesus? And this brings us then to the dynamics of discipleship. I can tell you, first of all, it's not a program where you just learn certain principles or facts and, or even the content of the Bible, although that all may be part of the process. As I've said, it's about a personal relationship, a dynamic relationship with Jesus, who's not merely a model who lived in the past and we look back towards him. Instead, he's our living teacher who personally instructs us and trains us in the present. As his apprentices, we participate in a process of learning, I can tell you, that usually involves repeated attempts to learn new skills, skills that are crucial to experiencing the abundant life that God offers us. When I was learning to ski, I didn't learn it all just like that. It took a trying and trying and trying again and again, and that's how the skills developed. Here's a, picture way, to do, a way to picture the dynamics of learning as a disciple of Jesus. We can start this way. Jesus, as you know, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But in that passage we read from the first Gospel of John, those very first followers who began to tag along after him, something very interesting happens. No sooner did they just begin to kind of follow along after him than he noticed them. When we begin to follow after Jesus, he notices us. And in those first disciples, he turned around to them, saw them following, and he asked them a very important question. What do you want? That's a great question. What do you want? Oh, really? What do you want? What are you seeking in your life? If you're following along to learn from Jesus, what is it that you want. You see, beginning to follow after Jesus in this way begins actually with seeking, with seeking. So what are you seeking? Are you looking for answers? Are you uh, hungry for authentic community? Are you thirsty for spiritual reality? Maybe you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. To know that our learning begins with seeking means that our questions are okay. Doubts are normal. There is no way to start learning from Jesus except to begin from exactly wherever you are. 
That's where you start from. So we start with our hopes, our questions, our doubts. We begin to seek something from Jesus. And the next movement in the dynamic of discipleship is to follow. Jesus walked along the shore of Galilee. He saw fishermen there working in their boats, and he said to them, leave your nets, follow me. John tells us that Jesus went to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. He tells us that some of the first followers of Jesus then went and found their friends, their brothers, and said, come and see, come and see, come follow with us. Following is a response. It's a form of obedience that is necessary and a powerful part of learning to live the abundant life. An apprentice doesn't just watch the master craftsman or just listen to explanations about how things are being done. At some point, the master turns to the apprentice and says, okay, now you do it. You take the tools in your hands. You try it. In my own life, on many occasions, the Lord has impressed on me a clear sense that he was calling me to follow. Go here, do this, come with me, trust me, follow me. And I can tell you it seldom feels like something that we are ready to do. More often it means stepping out of our comfort zone, trying an, a new way of doing things, a new way of living. It takes time to learn the skills of abundant life. You can't learn to ski if you don't put the skis on and point them downhill and get going. So what is Christ calling you to do now? Next, to realize a more abundant life. Is there a change that you need to make in your lifestyle? Jesus says, follow me. Is there some relationship problem you need to resolve? Jesus says, follow me. Is there a point of fear where you need to trust yourself to Jesus? He says, follow me. We move from seeking Jesus to following when we hear his call and respond, when we hear his command and obey. And this obedience then leads us to the third movement in the dynamic of discipleship. Anyone who seriously seeks after Jesus, who hears his call and is willing to follow, will be drawn into serving others. That's simply how it works. And it's simple for this reason. If we are learning to live abundantly from Jesus, then he will teach us to do what he himself did and what he does, which is to lay down his life for the sake of others. The Son of Man, he said, did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus says, I have done this to you, washed your feet, so that you, as my disciples, should do, go and do this for, your, for one another. To become a servant to others is one of the most basic ways that we show that we are, in fact, learning from Jesus how to live. So maybe Jesus is calling you to give back, to flex and stretch your servant muscles, to focus on how you can help others rather than always focusing on your, on your own troubles and problems. When we follow him into serving others, something wonderful happens. And that's the fourth movement in the dynamic of discipleship. Our love grows. Our love for God heart, soul, mind, and strength, our love for our neighbor, for others. 
That's what happens when we are learning from Jesus how to live abundant life. Be sure you catch this. The result of learning how to live from Jesus is that we become much better lovers. Now that's an offer, isn't it? To grow in love for God, to grow in our love for others. Indeed, the most authentic mark of Christian maturity is not that we know a lot more stuff, but rather that we show a lot more love in our relationships. That's the mark of maturity. So these are the four basic movements in the dynamic of discipleship, to seek, to follow, to serve, to love. But what we are describing here is not a straight-line journey from A to Z. Instead, it's an ongoing dynamic. We seek Jesus. We hear his call to follow. We get involved with him serving others. We grow in love for God and our neighbor. And when all of that happens, we find that, in fact, there are new things to seek, new calls to follow, more ways to serve, and more ways to grow in our love. So discipleship is not a one-way trip that you can complete in a week or a month or even a year. And it's also not a matter of just going in circles. Instead, it's the opposite of a vicious cycle. You know what that is, don't you? A vicious cycle is where things go round and round and they just spiral downward until they are flushed down the toilet somehow. We're not describing a circle that goes nowhere. We're describing the opposite of a vicious cycle, and that's known as a virtuous cycle. This process of seeking, following, serving, and loving Jesus Christ goes around and brings us to more seeking, to more uh, following, and so on. And it begins small, and it grows up, and it grows wider. And as that process goes, we discover, in fact, that our lives are becoming abundant. In fact, this dynamic way of interacting with Jesus, the master teacher, is precisely what turns our ordinary lives into abundant lives. We learn from Jesus by walking with him in this journey. Well, there's one more thing, one more D in the three Ds of discipleship, and that is it's helpful to understand the crucial dimensions that all followers of Jesus need to attend to in terms of the ways that we are called to learn and to grow. The decision, the key decision defines who we are focused on learning from, Jesus. The dynamic describes how we go about learning from him. Seek, follow, serve, love. The dimensions describe what we need to be learning. I'm gonna to only touch on this briefly today. There'll be time to delve into it much more deeply in the coming weeks. But what is it that serious disciples of Jesus need to learn to live the abundant life that he offers us? It can be described this way as five categories of things. The first is biblical foundations. Many of you might have guessed that. The scripture is the word of God. It's from there that we learn to hear God's voice, to understand who he is, to understand something of the commands that he has given. We need biblical foundations. We also need to grow in spiritual formation. This is that process of learning the skill, the craft of being sensitive to the inner rhythms of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in your life, of learning the art of prayer, of learning to care for your soul through times of rest and times of retreat and times of reflection. It's nurturing your own 
spirituality as it relates to Jesus Christ. A third area is emotional health, emotional health. And I want to speak very bluntly about this, if you would let me. Folks, we've got issues. We've got issues. And oftentimes what impedes and trips us up as followers of Jesus Christ is not our lack of Bible knowledge or our lack of prayer even. It's that we've got emotional issues, ways that we've been wounded or shaped or uh, things that are hard for us to manage, relationships that were difficult for us, all kinds of stuff in our life that gets in the way of living with the abundance that Jesus Christ calls us to. A critical dimension of learning from Jesus is to deal with the issues, emotional health. We also need Christian life skills. These could be things like learning how to manage your money wisely, about how learning how to be a, a better dad, a better mom, a better spouse, to learn how to communicate more effectively with your coworkers and so forth. And then we come to places in our life where we know that God is calling us to some particular form of service or ministry or work, and we need training that is specific to that. We need that as well to grow in this journey. The reason that all of these dimensions matter is because they correspond to the outcomes that God is aiming for in our lives. And they can be described this way. He wants us individually and as a community to become a people of the Word. Not just Bible experts, but people whose lives really are immersed in God's Word. That we read Scripture and we find God speaking to us in it, that it comes to mind in moments that we need it, that it's a source of encouragement, a source of comfort, a source of challenge. He wants us to be people of His Word because His Word gives life. He wants us also to be a people who know how to walk with Him. What does it mean, actually, to be walking with Jesus, to be communicating with him, to be sensitive to the sound of his voice, his spirit? That's a skill, a craft to be learned. He wants us to be well. The Lord is looking for wellness in our lives. That's why we need to deal with our emotional health and our health in every other manner for that, uh, for that sake as well. He wants us to be people of wisdom, and wisdom is simply the knowledge that we have that comes from God applied in practical ways. People who know how to sort their way through difficult decisions that are not just simply black and white. People who are wise in how they approach others, how they share their faith, how they interact together. Wisdom, such a strong and important aspect of biblical truth for us. And then finally, he's got work for us to do. He wants us to learn from him as apprentices because, in fact, we are part of the work that God wants done in the world. So there's more that we can say about this, but let me conclude with these thoughts. As we think about who we are called to be as a church, I want to suggest that there are two pillars that are foundational. One of these is that we need to be a community of people that worship God. That's one of the pillars. And the other here at Bel Air is that we are a people who know that we are called to make a difference in the world, that there's a mission for us to do, worship and mission. But between these two foundational pillars, there is a third element, a bridge, if you will, which in a word is called discipleship. How do we move from being a people who worship 
to a people who change the world? The answer, we become students of Jesus Christ, learning how to live as God intends so that in fact we can be the kind of people who actually can make a difference in the world for him. Without that apprenticeship, without that discipleship in between the worship and the mission, we have very little to offer to the world. So if we're gonna be a community that worships God, makes a difference in the world, we need to be about the task of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that means that we need to be disciples ourselves. This call to intentional discipleship, to becoming an apprentice to Jesus, the master teacher, it's not just for newcomers to the faith. It's not just for people that recently joined Bel Air. It is for every single one of us. No matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how many years you've sat in the pew, no matter how many times you've thought about being a disciple, this is for every single one of us all the time. We have a great future and a great purpose in the world as a church, I have no doubt. But to fulfill it, to find what it is that God would have us do, it is absolutely essential that we become a community committed to serious, intentional discipleship. We're working as a church all the time on what is our vision, what is God calling us to do, and here's a piece of it. This isn't the whole thing, maybe, but I sure think it's a core piece of it. I, I envision this church becoming a community of people that are learning from Jesus how to live as God intends. That we are going to be about the business of making disciples who make disciples, so that everyone in this great city and the whole world can flourish can flourish in the abundant, eternal life of the one true God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us to this. You're able to do it in our lives. Lord, as we take of your, partake of your sacrament, speak to us and call us, Lord, to that decision to become intentional students of yours learning from you day by day the skill, the craft of living life abundant. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.